but nothing will give you the same insight as running your own trading program, bringing those products directly back into your ecosystem and seeing those physical products, you know, after they've been used by the consumer. It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome. It's great to have you here. So it's been a while since we've talked fashion on the podcast. So to make up for that, I have an amazing guest who has done some phenomenal jobs in the fashion space from high fashion to fast fashion. Um, She'll be sharing some of her insight from that as well as getting into the problem of what happens to the clothes after you sell them and we'll be talking about why you are very soon going to need to start caring about that and some of the ways in which you can start dealing with that both to do the right thing for the planet and to benefit your business so lots of interesting things coming up in the episode including if you listen right to the end which you really should you'll get my guests top tips which are particularly good today Wide leg jeans, chunky footwear, shirts missing the bottom half and flip phones. There's no doubt the 90s are back in fashion, but that doesn't mean you have to create marketing campaigns like it's the last century. Are you craving a more data-driven, AI-powered approach to your marketing? Looking for a way to easily create campaigns based on what you're seeing in customer behaviour? You may be promoting throwback products, but you need innovative marketing automation. Bring your modern marketing vision to life with Bloomreach. Learn more about Bloomreach. Visit ecmp.info forward slash Bloomreach. That's ecmp.info slash B-L-O-O-M-R-E-A-C-H. Just visit ecmp.info forward slash Bloomreach today to learn more. And now to introduce today's special guest. Zoe Rousewell is the co-founder of Turn Eco and has some amazing fashion e-commerce credentials. Zoe was director of e-commerce for Urban Outfitters, global director of e-commerce and omnichannel at Jimmy Choo, and she rose from assistant merchandiser to head of online trading during 14 years at Topshop. Wow. Hello, Zoe. Hi. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you here and um, congrats on managing to get so many stellar fashion brands into one CV. (laughs) Yeah, I've been incredibly lucky in my career for the brands that I've worked with uh, and for. It's been brilliant. And how did you end up on that e-commerce road? Because you had several roles before the ones I mentioned. So how did you end up in this world of retail and e-commerce? So my first foray into retail was actually my very, very first Saturday job when I worked for my uncle on his fabric stall in Brixton Market, which I absolutely loved and was really good fun. And from there, I entered the Marks and Spencers world and I worked for them during my holidays when I was at university, which was brilliant because not only was it indoors, but I also got access to M&S food in their canteen during my breaks, which is delightful. And then I did management studies at Leeds University, which was kind of business studies, really, and a bit of everything. And, you know, as you do when you get to the end of your course and you're starting to think about what you're going to do with your life, started to think about, okay, well, what is it that I'm good at? What do I enjoy doing? And despite living on a student budget, I thoroughly enjoyed shopping. And I was like, oh, how do I start a career in shopping? Can I get paid to go 
shopping on someone else's money. And actually, there is a career in that and it's buying. But the more I learned about it, the more I realised that it wasn't necessarily playing to my strengths. Came from a kind of business studies degree, love a spreadsheet, love numbers and discovered that there was sort of a parallel role to buying, which was merchandising and thought, hang on a second. okay, I'd like to explore this. Um, And that's really where it started. So I did a couple of entry level roles uh, merchandising for retailers and I ended up doing a pricing project for the Disney store. That was a project. uh, It was coming to its end. And again, I was starting to think about what it was that I was going to do afterwards. And they then advertised a role as merchandising assistant for the Disney store website. And I was like, oh, that sounds really exciting. Now, this is going to age me here, but this is at a point where not everyone had a computer at home with internet access. Um, Not everyone had their own email address, but we did at home. And I loved already the potential that the internet offered and the exposure to the wider world that it gave. And I was like, you know, I really want to do this. So I applied for the role and got it. And that was where my love affair with e-commerce started. And it really went from there. So um, I worked on the Disney Store website for a short while. And then a role at Arcadia Group, which was, you know, the owner of brands, Topshop, Topman, etc., came up as assistant merchandiser for their websites there. And I was like, hang on a second. This is completely a piece of me it's a brand and a business that I love that I shop with that I really feel affinity with and then got the role there and you know that started my 14 years at Topshop which was incredible I loved it I still love e-commerce now when I started at Topshop there were two of us I was assistant merchandiser and there was a digital marketing manager and when I left there were 50 spanning everything from content and analytics um, you know CRM it was truly an incredible journey you know the constant growth and new learning opportunities and new channels and new things to trial and then once we started with analytics and really being able to test things and understand how customers reacted to it, it was amazing. It's kind of mad, isn't it? Because you you think now there's huge opportunity to do things in e-commerce, but thinking back that 20 years to when we both really got stuck in, it's just the potential back then was amazing. I'm, I'm always, always getting teary-eyed thinking about it. It was so much fun. So it was much so fun. much fun. I mean, and it still is because, you know, it's constantly evolving. And that's what I love about it. I love the space. I still, you know, love the internet and the potential and the opportunity. Still happy to be working in this environment, <laughs> in, in, in the even in the shape that we are today, which is slightly different, but um, still in that digital retail e-commerce world. So given your in-depth from many angles understanding of the e-commerce space, especially in the fashion space, if you were brand side right now doing, and if you were head of online trading at Jimmy Choo or director of e-commerce at Urban Outfitters still at this precise moment in time, looking to the future, how would you be pivoting the activities of the brand for success over the next, let's say, three to five years? Because it's a, it's a very different world now to what it was a couple of years ago or even 10 years ago. So what would be your big focus at the moment for future success? I would have to say it's circularity and sustainability. You know, awareness of the climate crisis has driven this massive shift in consumer behaviour. They're demanding more from the brands and the retailers that they buy from. The rise of resale and rental and repairs, you know, you have to take notice of that and you have to be thinking as a brand or a retailer, what does that mean for my business? How do I embed 
those programs into my business and how do I really leverage that opportunity to grow my business in this fast growing space so that's you know that's where I'd focus it almost feels at the moment and weirdly it, it didn't feel like this for me in 2022 but it does in 2023 is that we're just at that point where the the big question of how do we integrate the full circularity, the post-purchase circularity, the whole of sustainability into a retail brand. It's very similar to the questions people are asking 20 years ago of how do we add internet? You know, (laughs) you know, like the boss goes, I don't believe in the internet or the boss goes, we must have a website. And you're all going, why? Yeah. It, It feels like we're at that same exciting beginning of the journey. Like, like it's really starting to gather some, some impetus at the moment. Is that how you're finding it? I 100% agree with you. I think my my co-founder, Kate, and I talk about this quite a lot, that, you know, when we first started in e-commerce and when I first started at Topshop, I used to have to beg the buyers for samples to put on the website to photograph. And they'd be like, oh, no, you know, so-and-so's borrowed that for PR. And no, so-and-so's wearing that to a party tonight. They just... It just generally wasn't a a kind of real belief, I guess, or an understanding of the opportunity. It was seen as a distraction from the core business, from their day-to-day business, Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily seen as profitable. And I believe in the same way as you've explained, that circularity and sustainability is viewed in the same way today. So it seems hard, right? It's all these big words, these new revenue opportunities, these new models, it seems hard and overwhelming. And as a result, lots of people are just not doing anything right now because that change just feels like it's a step too far and they don't necessarily see the opportunity long-term that this can deliver for them. I think kind of one of those reasons is because people get a bit hung up on the terms. So, you know, what is, isn't circularity grinding up plastic and turning it into new plastic things? Is that <laughs> uh, not quite, there's a bit more to it than that. You know, and, and sustainability, ooh, that's just about reducing your carbon footprint, but it's obviously about more than that. So for you, what are the, what are the key parts that this circularity piece drills down into for the for the average e-commerce brand and we can stick to fashion if that keeps things simple or not not that it's simple but you know well <laughs> i think it's not a simple challenge or a simple solution and there's not there's definitely not a one size fits all i think the reason why circularity and sustainability probably sounds so overwhelming is because really it's a transition from the current state of play and the current business linear model of producing something selling it and then you know it being thrown away when we're finished with it to something that is truly circular that starts with the initial design of a product at thinking that when you're first thinking about how to design a product what materials am I making it from? How are they going to be dealt with once the product isn't usable anymore for whatever reason? Can we break this down? Can this part be recycled? Can it be repaired? So it starts from the very beginning all the way through to then, okay, well, how do you manufacture it? You know, how do you sell it? And and then this, you know, big, big challenge that we've got at the moment is once I've sold it and someone's finished with it, what happens to it? And the problem that we've got is, all too often at the moment, it just gets thrown away. Um, and that is, it's not a fashion specific problem. It's a its a retail problem as a whole. We all have stuff in our wardrobes, in our cupboards, our lofts, our sheds that we don't want, need or use anymore. But 
as a consumer, if you want to do something, you know, the responsible thing with it, there's not often that many easy choices. So you can recycle if it's easy to recycle it, but quite often you're not entirely sure whether it's possible or not. You might want to repair something, but again, trying to find someone that can repair the switch on your kettle or, you know, your curtains isn't that easy. You can resell it yourself via an eBay or a Depop or Vinted, but not everyone wants to be a seller, right? There's a lot of heavy lifting that's involved in that. And you're also not guaranteed to sell your product at the end of it either. So what do you do and what role do retailers play now in helping consumers do that, that part of the journey? How much responsibility do they take for the product that they've sold that is then now out there in the world that needs to be dealt with and still more often than not, has a lot of value that they can recapture. Yeah, it, it's that part after the purchase has been made, which I think is the hardest one for people to get their heads around. Because it's like, whether we want to care about it or not, as a retailer, as a brand, sooner or later, we're going to be forced to care about it by government. The, the legislation is coming. The consumer pressure is coming. And partly it's about selling the right product to the right person in the first place but it's also about enabling the customer you know he's got like i I often in my head it often visualizes as all these products on bungee ropes (laughs) kind of like (laughs) imaginary bungee ropes going out to the customer and you know trying to keep track of them and work out where they're going but it's it's less of a individual items and more of a ethos perspective and it, it feels like there's a lot of brands going oh we'll just let vinted deal with that but if we can bring it back into our own brand, that gives us a bit more control. If we're encouraging our customers to send it back for repair, for recycling, for whatever else, it gives us a lot more control over our brand than our brand suddenly becoming at a completely different price point on Vinted or Depop or whatever than it is when it's on our website. So would you say brands should be trying to bring their product back in from their customers? Absolutely. 100% believe that there is huge opportunity for the brands and retailers to own their circularity programs directly. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the rise of second hand, and that's the fastest growing sector of retail at the moment. Well, if you're a if you're a brand or a retailer, the chances are that your products are being sold in the secondary markets already somewhere else you're just not involved in that at all so you have no control over the quality of the product the pricing of the product your brand integrity and the where the products are being sold how they're being sold and photographed the second-hand customer is buying your you know your product secondhand elsewhere so that revenue opportunity is being uh, realized by someone else so there is huge opportunity for brands and retailers to to recognize that you know, this is a fast growing and important space for them to play in, but they have to take ownership if they really want to realise the true potential long term, because what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of outsourcing um, and a lot of peer to peer resale enablement. But that still puts the onus on the consumer. It's a bit of a nod to sustainability and circularity. It's, you know, we know we need to do something in the space, but we're not quite ready to take on ownership ourselves yet so let's just you know let someone else deal with the problem but outsourcing um, isn't a long-term strategy if you really want to grasp that opportunity which is there for the taking. It feels like there's there's two parts to this here one is 
the avoidance of the negative side of your products ending up in landfill when they still have use in them, I suppose. They, you know, ending up in the wrong place eventually. There's that negative side to it. Then there's the side where you might end up missing out on the positive side of getting involved with the secondhand recycling, etc., of your own clothing, which is that market's growing. There is, and if that market's growing, the amount of new stock you're going to be selling is going to start reducing. So for the long-term five to 10-year strategy, you need to start playing both sides of the coin, I suppose, as a, as a trader, as a merchandiser, as a retailer. Is that how you're seeing things for the future? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a number of benefits, you know, and opportunities that we are talking to retailers about. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you'll talk to some retailers and they are, you know, they want to own these programs. They want to run a trade-in program and then potentially run a resale program or, you know, or donate it or recycle that product. But the reason for doing that is because it's the right thing to do, because they want to take responsibility for the product that they're putting out there in the world in the first place and ensuring that it doesn't go to landfill. And then you've got, you know, another set of retailers that are looking at the secondhand market growing. And we're seeing this in luxury, which is really interesting that they've kind of, you know, they are rapidly adapting to this shift, recognising that people like Vestier Collective, uh, you know, and those other Codonis and all of these guys are already playing in that space um, and wanting to really own their brand integrity because that's you know super important to them and you know what does that then mean to them as a brand and and their circularity program so you've got the revenue opportunity that the market um offers as well so there's there's lots of factors that play into what makes a successful program Um, and your motivations might be different depending on who you are and what products you sell and what stage of your journey you're on but they are they all play into the fact that we have to do this because, as you said, um, government legislation is going to force retailers to uh, change their practices. We're already seeing that with extended producer responsibilities, the EU circular economy directive. All of this change in legislation is is really going to make this imperative. You have to think about this and what this means to you as your business. And in order to grow long term, you need to think about how that secondary market is going to impact your market for new. We're working with a children's wear brand at the moment who are running a really successful um, buyback and resale program and have actively gone out there and said, we want secondhand to be 25% of our business and we want it to actively displace the sale of new products because the world just simply doesn't have enough resources to continue on its current path of new, new, new. So, we have to make more of what we've got already. Yeah, I think we're only going to hear of more and more brands doing that. We should mention at this point that you have um, your business, Turn Eco, is solving this pro- or solving part the most difficult part of this process for retailers. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about what happens after you get the stock back in. What do you actually do with it? Um, but <laughs> tell us a little bit about how Turn Eco is helping retailers to easily start this buyback process we obviously come from a digital and e-commerce background a couple of years ago kate and i were working for different retailers we'd actually met at Topshop um, and ran the digital team there for a number of years and really enjoyed working together both left Topshop and went on to to other contract roles but had always stayed in contact and were talking about 
what we were seeing in the market, talking about the rise of secondhand and and thinking, you know, no one was doing that particularly well, a bit like when we started in e-commerce to begin with. And, you know, wanting to do something better with our skills and experience because we didn't feel that great about our fast fashion background. And so we actually launched our own digital consultancy at, at the end of 2019. And we wanted to focus specifically on sustainable retail and helping brands and retailers on that journey. And as we kind of learned more around uh, what was going on in the marketplace and the challenges that retailers were facing, the more we got excited about the space and, and really kind of the more that we saw that there was a there was a gap where the opportunity for retailers to take ownership, how can they enter this market? How can they take ownership of that growth opportunity themselves? And recognising that, as I said, the current solutions out there are predominantly focused on outsourcing to a third party and thinking, right, how do we help them on this journey? Where do we start? And really, that's where the premise of Turn was born. Turn is a sustainable retail tech solution. It enables and automates trading for retailers. So it allows retailers to launch their own trading or buyback program, automating and uh, enabling data capture throughout the whole process. And the reason why we started with trading or buyback or take back um, is because whatever you want to do with product in the circular economy, whether you want to resell that yourself or directly or via, you know, a third party market, whether you want to upcycle or recycle or donate, you first have to find a way to systematically bring back the products that you've previously sold. And trading is that way to do that. So trading enables your customers to exchange their previously purchased goods for store credit. And so really, yeah, that's where we started. So um, our launch product is a trading app for the Shopify e-commerce platform. But uh, the ambition is is much bigger. But I, I love the, you know, one of the reasons I invited you to come on the show was because I love the fact that the, the Turn Eco app does the most difficult bit of the process, which is collate the data on each unit and then tie it to SKUs and your normal data. So then the brand is in the position to go and, and deal with the, the incentivization and the communication with the, with the consumer, which then puts the brand in the position to go, right, we've got good data on what's coming in. Now we can make decisions at scale on what we actually do with it. You know, so this this enables a huge brand to have hundreds of units coming back in a day or a week and process them effectively in whatever way they're going to process it. So you mentioned about uh, recycling, resale on your own platform, resale on other platforms. Are there any other kind of fascinating ways you've seen the brands you're working with start to deal with or you utilize that stock that's coming back in? Resale is the predominant focus for the majority of the retailers that we're talking to mostly because of the revenue opportunity that resale offers. But what I think is really interesting is that we're having conversations with a number of retailers that aren't necessarily sure what they're going to do with the product when they get it back. They want to launch a trading program. They want to start to see what comes back, what condition it's in, what types of products they get back, the age of the products, and then build their circularity programs from there based on you know, actual data and actual insight of of what they get back. And I think the data element of of what we're doing is hugely important um, for a number of factors. First of all, because at the moment, as a retailer, once you've sold a product, unless someone 
uh, returns it because it's faulty or damaged or they don't like it anymore. Once it's gone, it's gone. You don't know anything about it anymore. And, you know, you might do wearer trials and, you know, kind of tests when you're producing products initially, but nothing will give you the same insight as running your own trading program, bringing those products directly back into your ecosystem and seeing those physical products, you know, after they've been used by the consumer. How long have they used them? What does the wear and tear look like? Do you get particular products back after a particular period of time? How do you feed that data and that insight back into your product design and development um, so that you make better products, more durable products moving forward that can then be reused and resold a number of times? that then gives you a bigger revenue opportunity but I think the other thing as well that you you touched upon is you know there are trade-in services or take-back services at the moment they're very manual so for example you know many stores have got a box that you just go into store and you dump a load of products in a box or you know you can have a digital version where you request a bag you pack up a bag and you send it off to a third party but they're they're blind, so no one knows before you know they start unpacking that box um, or receive that envelope what's in it. Then you have to start the heavy lifting of oh exactly what is this product? What do I know about it? Okay, I need to you know decide what colour it is, what fabrication it is. You know, is it a is it a polo shirt or is it you know a long sleeve shirt, etc. So the beauty of of running a kind of digitally enabled trading program that really starts from the original purchase data and feeds you know and tracks all the way through to take back and then also manages analytics into the credit that you offer and the customer behavior after they've received that credit um, is a huge volume of data about customer behavior customer preferences customer life cycles and uh, purchase frequency that you've never had before E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. Wide leg jeans, chunky footwear, shirts missing the bottom half and flip phones. There's no doubt the 90s are back in fashion, but that doesn't mean you have to create marketing campaigns like it's the last century. Are you craving a more data-driven, AI-powered approach to your marketing? Looking for a way to easily create campaigns based on what you're seeing in customer behaviour? You may be promoting throwback products, but you need innovative marketing automation. Bring your modern marketing vision to life with Bloomreach. Learn more about Bloomreach. Visit ecmp.info forward slash Bloomreach. That's ecmp.info slash B-L-O-O-M-R-E-A-C-H. Just visit ecmp.info forward slash Bloomreach today to learn more. Do you have stock in your warehouse you desperately need to turn back into cash? Do you want to know how you can sell more stock at full price? Do you want to leverage your stock to improve your profits, cash flow and environmental impact? Then it's time to get your free ticket to our brand new virtual event. This time we're tackling the problem of overstocks, both how to avoid them and how to clear them. Just use our short link ecmp.info forward slash summit to get your free ticket 
And to answer the number one most asked question, will replays be available, Chloe? Why, yes, replays will be available to everyone who has signed up. So sign up and then you can watch at your convenience. Just use our short link ecmp.info forward slash summit to get your free ticket. That's ecmp, short for e-commerce master plan, dot info forward slash summit to get your free ticket today. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, so he's already got our heads spinning on the possibilities of what happens to our products after we sell them and how we can do that. Whilst your heads continue spinning, we're going to hopefully not speed that spin up too much. I think my metaphor's dying, but we're going to go into the top tips. And I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So Zoe, are you ready for these? Uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> Cool. Well, we'll start with the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So I try and read every night before I go to bed to kind of wind down. That's my relaxation. So I don't tend to read a huge amount of business books. I tend to read fiction just to, um, you know, for that kind of release. But having said that, there are two books I'd recommend if I can be cheeky and recommend two. The first is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight who's the founder of Nike. I love this book because it's just a great story to start with, but it's fascinating to learn how a brand that you've grown up with, and like this absolute giant that's known worldwide, started from him borrowing, I think, $50 from his dad to start selling running shoes and just became this giant, amazing brand that we know today. I say amazing, people might have different opinions on it, but it's, you know, it's, it's globally recognised, shall we say. Um, the other book that I'd recommend is The Waste-Free World by Ron Gonan. This is a great book because if you want to learn more about how the world got into the, this mess in the first place, this, the climate crisis, the you know overconsumption and why the circular economy is the way forward, you need to read this book. It's brilliant. It's insightful. And it's, it's just a really, really interesting read. Excellent. I love both those recommendations and kind of the fact they're almost polar opposites if one was taking a cynical view of the first. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But you you know, it's yin and yang, right? You, there's balance. It is. And uh, yeah, no, I, loving both of those, a lot to be learned from them both. Um, okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do we the prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Uh, this was a really hard question because actually I believe in using multiple channels to drive the most effective traffic. But I think the trick really is to understand the role um, the purpose and the strengths of each channel using data and analytics. I love data and analytics to guide your decision making and your messaging strategies, but then use them together to be you know, specific and relevant to each customer in the most effective and efficient way. But definitely, definitely do not just blanket message every customer with every message on every channel. You need to really think about, you know, how each channel works effectively for you. I totally agree. Multi-channel is necessary. I also totally agree. Do not send the same thing for everything to everyone at the same time. That is not multi-channel. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's bad multi-channel, maybe. The tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? I don't know if this is a cool little tool, but I love Slack. Some people don't, 
but I just th- I just find it so easy to use. It just makes communication so much quicker than typing a full email to someone when just a you know one sentence is going to do. And I love that it stops my email inbox becoming too clogged up because that really stresses me out. So yeah, Slack is is my fave. Yeah, email is definitely not the way to manage a team. <laughs> Whatever you're using other other than it, whether it's Slack or Asana or something else, email is not the way to manage your team. (laughs) No, and it requires a lot of brain power as well to really craft the email, you know, properly think about the tone of voice and the wording that you're using. And, you know, do I start by saying hi or, you know, what's the, you know, how do you sign it off? Just, you know, sometimes a one liner is all it needs. Indeed. The growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1000, what would be your number one tip for them? (laughs) This to me is a no brainer, but unfortunately, there's still so many retailers that don't do this and focus more on the bells and whistles and the shiny stuff. And my top tip on this is get your basics right. Get your navigation right. Have a good on-site search experience. Don't make people work too hard to find things because you're imp- they're impatient and you'll lose them. And please, this is my pet peeve, don't have a really long navigation that users can't actually scroll to the bottom of. But think about what's your delivery and returns proposition? Is it clear to your customers? Is it competitive? Is it a good experience? Because if it's not, they're going to shop elsewhere. And above all, offer good customer service. Don't make it hard for your customers to contact you. Your customers are such a valuable resource for you. You should actively be seeking their feedback and then use that insight to make your business better. So not groundbreaking, but basic things that, you know, that are really a great base and platform for you to build your business on from there. Not groundbreaking, but like you say, it's still amazing how many brands don't do it when it makes so much impact. Yeah, I lose count of the the websites that I go to where the navigation is really hard and I can't find the products that I want or the on-site search. You know, I'm searching for a red top and it then just gives me everything that's red, whether it's a saucepan or, you know, or a duvet cover. And I'm like, this is, you're not helping me here. And now I'm just leaving because I'm not happy with my experience. Thank you. Yeah, and so often the way in which new startups and new entrants steal a march on their old school competitors is by getting this stuff right. Because <laughs> um, the technology's out there to make it so easy to do it, do it well. So i loving that growth top tip. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners who want to know how to start that re- that buyback process rather not resell buyback process know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media please of course so our website is www.turn.eco and that is t-e-r-n dot e-c-o um, and you can find us under turn.eco on instagram and linkedin as well come talk to us we'd love to talk to you about uh, how to get started on this journey brilliant thank you so much for coming on zoe i really 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 hope we've inspired lots of listeners to get in contact or at the very least to put you on there must tackle next quarter list so um (laughs) it's been brilliant chatting about all this thank you so much for sparing the time to come on the podcast no it's been great to talk about it thank you for having me so a fascinating guest really pleased we could get zoe on both due to her huge amount of experience in the world of e-commerce and fashion and also due to her kind of clarity and the sense she brings to the fact that 
in the coming years, we're all going to have to start caring about what happens to our product after we've sold it. You can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned, as well as um, connecting to Zoe on LinkedIn and getting in contact with her company, Turn Eco. You can get all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast or use the short link ecmp.info forward slash whatever the number of this episode is. And then you'll go straight to the correct page on the website. And once you get to the website, you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. And if you liked this episode, then make sure you check out two other episodes we've done where I'm chatting to the founders of alternative solutions to the very same problem. In episode 372, I'm chatting with Oni app found, founder, even, Kalkadan Legese, about her solution. And then I'm talking in episode 376 to new founder Ailing Byrne about another way of dealing with products uh, in the secondhand space. Thank you so much for tuning into this and every episode that you do of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help e-commerce business owners like you to succeed and thrive with your businesses, including progressing along the path to net zero. So if you know someone this show can help, please tell them to listen to the e-commerce master plan podcast. I hope you have a great week and don't forget to keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast. It's time to get your free ticket to our brand new virtual event. This time we're tackling the problem of overstocks, both how to avoid them and how to clear them. So take control of your stock to improve profits, cash flow and lower your carbon footprint. Just use our short link ecmp.info forward slash summit to get your free ticket.